My earliest memories of Episode 5 is the Hoth battle. Based on this scene alone, Empire Strikes Back was my favorite Star Wars movie for a long time. However, I seldom watch past the Hoth scene. To date, this is the only Star Wars movie I haven't seen in the theater. When the special edition versions of the Star Wars movies were re-released in 1997, this is the only one I didn't care to go see, and honestly, it's the only one my dad didn't care to take me to. For kids, this movie quickly gets boring. Dagobah? Boring. Han and Leia falling in love? I love boring. You. Luke's Jedi training and understanding the Force? Boring. Confrontation with Vader? Boring. I'm asking myself what the hell happened in the Force cave. Why didn't Luke stay to complete his training? Why is there no sense of victory at the end of this movie? Why am I walking away feeling like we lost? That's not how movies for kids are supposed to end, goddammit. As I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate this movie in new ways. It's not just a good Star Wars movie, it's a great movie, period. All those parts I originally thought were boring are now interesting and exciting. Luke's training on Dagobah. We start to learn and understand what the Force is, how it works, and the religion behind it. Watching Yoda, the small, old and frail man, raise the X-Wing to the great astonishment of everyone in the audience. We see how cold, calculated, and ruthless Darth Vader is in his pursuit of Luke. The letdown ending, the feeling of having no conflict resolved was purposeful. Star Wars is a true trilogy. It's one story told in three parts. So many trilogies are separate stories with the same characters. This is one epic story told over six hours. The conclusion of this movie is the climax of the original trilogy. It's the turning point. It's the moment where all the secrets come out and everything changes. I believe this is what helps the Star Wars movies age so well. The fact that I can grow up with these movies. What was boring to me at one point in my life has now become moving and interesting. I think that's one of the biggest things about The Empire Strikes Back is that it is boring to kids. Like, I felt the same way. It was like, can we just skip to the, like, party at the end of episode six? I just want to see the teddy bears. But then as you grow up, and I think maybe there's some sort of media literacy to do with it. As you grow up, you start to realize, like, oh, this is good because of all of these reasons, right? You appreciate it more as you get older. Like, I was talking to my dad, and he said this has always been his favorite Star Wars movie. And I told him, I said, Dad, that's the only one you didn't take me to see in the theater. And he's like, really? I'm like, I had no idea it was your favorite because you just didn't get as excited about it. But I guess when you're trying to watch Star Wars with kids, you go to A New Hope or Return of the Jedi because this one is heavy. It's dense. It's just the middle part of the story. So there's no real conclusion at the end. Like, yeah, kids don't aren't crazy about this one, I don't think, other than the Hoth battle. Right. Yeah. And I, I felt the same way. Like, that was the cool... That was always my favorite levels in like Lego Star Wars was the Hoth battle. It was just a different place. And like we were talking before we got on mic, it's different. It's the opposite of A New Hope. The Empire is striking back. Like everybody talks about Hoth. What do you think it is about the Hoth battle that just makes it so memorable? I feel like it's unique. You know, before it was the rebels on the offensive. They were coming to the the death star they were doing a trench run and it was in space right all the battles we saw before were in space and now we're on the ground boots on the ground and they're digging these trenches and they're defending their base and they're fighting but at the same time they know they're not going to make it so they're evacuating at the same time it's complicated right and then there's an invasion right vader vader himself comes and i always loved the the snow troopers those were always so cool i was like Okay, this is awesome, right? Because it was this next evolution 
of Stormtrooper. I thought that was just the coolest thing. And you've got like the drivers of the the ATAT drivers are also wearing different stuff. So you're seeing like mm-hmm. all these new kind of uh, elements of the Empire and stuff like that all getting fleshed out. I think like it starts in medias res, right? Like we're not mm-hmm. kind of, and and a new hope starts out that way too in the middle of a pursuit. This one again starts out in the middle of a pursuit. And we're sending probe droids out. And we're trying to find Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker is just scouting around. He gets captured by a abominable snowman. Han Solo goes out and tries to find him. Like we're right in the thick of it. That that's kind of how that's how all of the Star Wars movies are set up. And I think some of them are done better than others because this one. Even though, yeah, it starts right into the action, it still has this, like, ease you into it. The probe goes down slow. You see what's happening. You see it come up. You see the reaction of the rebels. You see Luke out on his patrol. You see him radio back on saying, I'm going to go out and get him, right? We're, we're, you know, this is so often propped up as the, the perfect sequel. And I think it is for all of these reasons. We see, okay, so the Death Star blew up you could take a new hope like it ends with that beautiful fanfare and this march and here's your medals congratulations we saved the day you can end it there like it's it's wrapped up it's done and so i think to make a sequel after a movie like a new hope that's a challenge yeah but they they nailed it the way they said okay well this is what's next like it's not over and maybe now the rebellion has more resources it's growing, right? It has a base, this big base on this ice planet. It's hiding. The Empire's searching them out, still trying to find them. It's amazing. Well, like, the Empire's not searching them out. Darth Vader is on a personal vendetta. And that's something I didn't really pick up on until the last time I watched it. Hmm. And, and it's in the title scroll, but this is a personal vendetta for Darth Vader. Right. This is not like... And, and you see Darth Vader's kind of like this separate agent of the Empire in A New Hope. Right, he gets criticized by all the moths for his ancient religion, and then he starts choking people. Like he is this weird sorcerer hand of the emperor that people only listen to because, well, one, he's very, very powerful, and two, because the emperor says, "Listen to this guy." But you can, the empire and Darth Vader have different objectives, right? Right, that's interesting. That is really interesting because Darth Vader is a Sith. So I guess there's there there are these two stories going on in the original trilogy of the rebellion trying to take down the empire but also Luke trying to take down Vader right like they're not necessarily the same thing and it diverges a lot more in the next movie right mm-hmm. where they end up actually being physically separated while they're battling the emperor and the empire yeah that's interesting and then they they achieve victories against both that is really interesting Yeah, they just did a really, really perfect job of further developing that. And one thing I wanted to bring up was the character growth that you noticed. Because I think in the timeline, there's five or six years between A New Hope and and Empire Strikes Back. And so you see the character growth. And the way that they do that is really cool, too. Because, like we were talking about beforehand, Han goes out to save Luke. I don't think he would have done that at the end of A New Hope, right? He came back, he saved the day, right? All he really had to do was was kill a TIE fighter, right? That's it. Mm-hmm. And then Luke was able to do his thing. But in this one, it's like, he's going to go out there <laughs> to the freezing cold and totally risk death to save Luke. 
He's yeah, he's grown as a leader in the same thing when he says I've gotta go and pay off Jabba the Hutt and the, the rebel leader saying, like, we hate to lose you, you're a hell of a leader. And that's like we get the sense that Han has taken on a leadership role. He's he's grown as a person, he's become less selfish, but he's gotta settle his debts or else he'll never stop being hunted. Mm-hmm. And then we like we see Leia, like she's a boots on the ground general. We we get the sense of her being a strong, independent woman. And then Luke is still doing his I'm a humble farm boy slash world class pilot kind of thing, right? <laughs> he's still like he's still like he blew up the Death Star, but he's still like Joe Six Pack. Right. Right. And he's just like, I'm just a regular guy driving a snow speeder. I think beer should be cold and you know you know <laughs> right. girls should be hot. Like yeah. I'm yeah. just I'm just like you guys. Yeah, they don't really make him out to be like a big legend. He yeah. he just so happens to be the guy that got the shot off yeah right yeah yeah that is interesting that's his whole stick right but really he's the center of this the only reason why darth vader's coming after us is because of luke skywalker right but the the rebels are just kind of like oh we still got a rebellion so you start yeah it fleshes out the two conflicts right yeah like you're saying i mean luke and vader and then there's the empire and the rebellion the the empire would still be going after them it just so happens that vader is kind of leading that charge largely because there's a young jedi but also i feel like he he'd still be doing that anyways i think well no because they send out the probes and vader points at the screen he says skywalker is there right and the the captains or the admirals are like one is personal well he could be anywhere how do you know skywalker's there Send all troops to the Hoth system. Okay, okay. I concede. I concede. I concede. (laughs) (laughs) But still, but still, I feel feel like they'd still be going after the rebellion. It's just that they're going to Hoth specifically because, like, right now, Vader is on on Luke. Like, Like it is personal. Right. Right? Like, this guy blew up my ultimate weapon. And I have to destroy well, this guy. Vader's probably in the doghouse with the Emperor. The Emperor. Like, oh, you yeah. bl- you blew it, dude. You go out and you find that kid and you bring yeah. him back to me. And yeah. yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, it, it does start to become really personal. And, I mean, ultimately, at the end of it, as we find out that, you know, this is his son, right? They're a father-son pairing. It becomes even more personal. And and then in in episode six that we'll get to in a couple of weeks, it's even more personal as you find out. Oh, a sister! You have a sister. <laughs> you, you, it starts to kind of develop more and more, and I think that's what makes this the perfect sequel. Is that it does get deeper, right? It further develops what's going on. Yeah, we're not adding a whole bunch of new crap. We're just we're developing what was already established. Yeah, yeah. The other things that make the Hoth scene memorable, I think, is the stop motion on the AT-ATs. Amazing. AT-AT assault. Yeah, and it's still, like, it holds up reasonably well now. Yeah, yeah. I think there's one part that really brings it to life is when Luke uses a grappling hook to go up and slash out the compartment, throw a grenade in there, is that that is, you see parts moving while he's going up there, right? It's not just static. Like, you can tell this thing's in motion. They really went above and beyond on the practical effects i think to really make you feel like he's cutting the thing open and putting a grenade in there i think like the the snow speeders wrapping up the legs 
with the the cables was just you know I think Lucas looks at what he did what he did in the Death Star trench run and he's like how can I take these things to the next level mm-hmm. what do what would starfighters look like on a ground battle instead of like a space battle yeah and it's focused right yeah. like it's not totally insane there's no giant CGI army it's focused it's simple you know what's happening. You know what everybody's doing and what everybody's mission is and purpose and intention. It all makes sense. And a note on the on the uh, stop animation, on stop motion, mm-hmm. this is something a lot of people, it's like, oh, why would you do that? You know, you know, why would you do that now when there's CGI that can be incredibly realistic and actually map into the rest of this realistic film? But also, it's part of the art, right? It's We wanted to communicate it this way. Even now, you could do that and still pull it off, which makes me think, here's an idea, a Wes Anderson directed, or at least stylized, like Wes Anderson, Star Wars film. Hmm? I don't know. No. Hard no. <laughs> I, Hard I would no. love it. I would the love Life it. The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou plus... Star Wars, you're just it, you would it would be a parody, and you wouldn't know it was a parody. No, I'm 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 thinking Grand Budapest Hotel more so. Okay, like right, yeah, 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 more more of that look. Right, just a lot of intense color schemes. Intense color schemes, a little bit of stop motion. You know, a lot of a lot of zooms and a lot of cute little sets. Like if I just gave you a color wheel to hold and look at while you were watching Empire Strikes Back, like would that scratch the itch for you? <laughs> like, <laughs> I like this. I just want more color. I'm gonna edit frame by frame. Empire the, Strikes the Empire, Back. The, the Empire is just so gray and yeah. authoritative looking, <laughs> like an empire should be. I wish. No, I mean, bit it could still be splashes like of, if we could have some splashes of pink and baby blue here. Maybe I'd like this movie more. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> give that to the rebellion. The Empire should still right. be dull. You know, to right. really illustrate that. Maybe add some tans, some khakis, <laughs> some khaki colors to the Empire. <laughs> that would be the Wes Anderson Empire, would right. just be khaki. Yeah. No, I think it's similar to what we noticed with um, A New Hope, is that, Lucas, you think about Hoth, and you're like, oh yeah, that's like the first ten minutes of the movie. No, it's like the first half hour of the movie. Mm-hmm. We really flesh out this planet, and being on this planet, and working on this planet. Um, and I think what you find with a lot of the other Star Wars movies is that they don't have that same sense of like world building and we're just going to be on this one place for a long time. Like I think we've talked about it with the prequel trilogy where I'm like, yeah, that movie in Revenge of the S- that that planet in Revenge of the Sith, that's Geonosis, right? No, no, Geonosis was in Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Well, then what the hell is this planet? I don't know. Nobody knows. I think it's Geonosis still. Are you talking about Mustafar? No, Mustafar is a volcano planet. Aren't they on Geonosis when... Obi-Wan rides that dragon thing? No, no, that's not Geonosis, that's but what Udipal. planet is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you, you only you only know that if you watch, like, Revenge of the Sith with the subtitles on. Because it's like a blink and you miss it. Yeah, there is this sense of focus. We're going to be at this planet, then this planet, then this planet, right? And I yeah. think what Empire does, which is kind of mirroring A New Hope, is that in A New Hope, the whole team's got to get together. They don't get together th- till halfway through the movie. And then in Empire, it's almost halfway through the movie, the team's together the whole time, and then they part ways, right? And you see it very clearly. There's no, like, suddenly Luke was on Dagobah. No, there's this split. All right, yeah, I'll meet you guys there, blah, 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 blah. And they they part ways. And Luke goes off to train with Yoda, and then 
and then the the other the rest of the crew leia han chewie and uh and 3po head off to bespin so we're gonna we're gonna start off going to dagobah to meet yoda what was your like first impression of yoda as a kid and then like now well like yoda i think yoda was made for kids right mm-hmm. so as a like as a kid i found him an interesting character but the whole scene overall on dagobah was just kind of boring for a kid so i it was just that was where i stopped paying attention right right and then just went back to playing lego or whatever right right yeah i i thought look yoda was just like silly like i loved his interactions with r2d2 that always got me you know he's like no hitting him with his stick because he's trying to take the food right yeah those were those were always my favorite bits and then the frustrations that luke had trying to figure out like what am i even doing here trying to get to master yoda and trying to have this weird goblin you know (laughs) lead him there right and yoda's really really weird at first yeah like he's gone crazy in isolation yeah yeah like and he's totally lost it he's totally gone crazy and he's doing this whole kind of weird pretending he's not actually yoda i remember as a kid trying to justify it as oh he's pretending to not be yoda to test luke right to Mm -hmm. make him have patience and blah 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 but watching it as an adult now i think he's just like sad crazy lonely and he's and he he's feeling the weight of his guilt from the from the clone wars from what happened two decades ago where now this kid that he had obi-wan take him to his aunt and uncle's place you know he's feeling that weight of okay well now the time's finally come but i've been alone for 20 years yeah i guess i've been communing with the force and whatever but it's like that guilt has like eaten him up inside completely and he's dealing with that and then he like he comes face to face with the product of his failure which is luke right luke is the product of his failure yeah uh to properly train and nurture anakin yeah and so he's resistant to training, and Obi-Wan actually has to convince him to train Luke. Yeah, and I think that snapped him out of it a little bit. Yeah. He's having Obi-Wan come in and be like, hey, hey, yeah, I've, I've been in hiding too for 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. But I took up the mantle. You know, we talk mm-hmm. about the hero's journey as it being Luke's journey, but what about like Obi-Wan and Yoda? They're kind of on their own path of yeah. tr- figuring out like, okay, like this is the call, you know, now is the time after 20 years 20 years of what right i guess the kenobi series might tell us a bit about obi-wan's thing but yeah like that whole time just communing with the force and turning your brain into mush because Mm -hmm. of your failure failure in anakin and yoda was the it's not just anakin and luke are the reminder of the total failure of the jedi order yeah, because there were thousands of Jedi. Yeah, thousands, thousands and they were the, the Jedi Knights, guardians of peace and, and prosperity and, and justice in the galaxy. You know, and they were totally blinded by the dark side of the Force, and and totally couldn't see how this guy who's amassing power is actually the Sith Lord mm-hmm. until it's too late. Like it's all a reminder of his total failure. Yeah, to do what he was supposed to do, and politics is a perfect disguise. Jedi already didn't, they already didn't trust politicians. And so I guess they just said, 
oh well we just don't trust him because he's a politician yeah yeah <laughs> that's not the that's not the aura of the dark side of the force around him that's just politics it's your typical dishonest your run-of-the-mill dishonesty yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and so i yeah and now they're coming to terms with that so then luke starts his jedi training and i'd say like i always found his it was weird to me how fast he was like training as a jedi and I always thought, like, shouldn't there be more to this? Like, you can't just wrap up training in a movie. Like, what the heck's going on? But so I kind of thought it in just making rocks float and running around doing backflips with uh, Yoda on your back. I was like, this is it? Like, this is Jedi training? Yeah, the the training isn't really what you expect. But then you get this, you know, moment of the force, you know, of how to reach out to the force right and i do think that they they pay off the shortness of the training later in the movie though when he goes to bespin i do think they they pay that off because he gets owned like vader destroys him there's not even you know if vader doesn't even have to do any fancy flips himself right he just kind of swings his blade around and and luke ends up having to jump off into a garbage chute and, and hope that things work out. And so I, I, I do see that. Something we were going to bring up is the Force Cave. And the failure at the Force Cave. I mean, maybe the movie's failure at the Force Cave because we don't get it. That, like that scene always confused and frustrated me as a kid. And I think one thing, because I always knew that Darth Vader was Luke's father, it was, to see Luke's face in, you know, when he cuts off Darth Vader's head and then it blows away and it's Luke's face, I was like... So it means that Darth Vader's his father, but how can that be his worst fear if he doesn't know that yet? And I, so I spin myself in circles. But what, I think what it w- was supposed to show is the Luke's fear of his temptation to the dark side of the Force. Yeah, and I, I think that's like the best interpretation, at least in my head too. Mm-hmm. Is is that Luke worries that he himself will become like Vader, and and will you know, go down that path as well, because he already knows, he doesn't realize yet that Vader is uh, his dad, but he does know that Vader was one of Obi-Wan's pupils, right? And so he he already knows that that's something that happens to Jedi. And he was even asking, uh, he was even asking Yoda, he's like, is the dark side stronger? You know, like he's asking these questions because he's worried about it. And so I guess, you know, that that's made pretty clear. I still don't understand the cave in general, though. Like, does the dark side just live there? I don't know. And may, maybe I don't need those answers, but that's always something that's got me. So I think, like, it's part of your Jedi training, your Jedi testing is to walk into the, the, the cave brings your worst fears to light. So the only thing that's in the cave is what you bring with you. So if you bring fear into the cave, your fears will manifest. So it's like a Jedi test. Yeah, maybe it's just the Force in general is kind of reacting to that. Once you've conquered your fear, you should walk into the cave and not see your fears. He walks in and there's nothing in there and he's like, oh. There's nothing in there and walks out. That's how you know you've passed the test of the cave. Right, right. That's the only logical kind of thing that flows from that. I think, like, it is amazing when Yoda raises the X-Wing and, uh, like, because Luke is really down in the dumps. You ask for the impossible right and then yoda lifts it and there's a great crescendo of the force theme and amazing and i think it like it shows to luke the 
incredible power of the Force, right? And the power of the light side of the Force. It explains to you a lot more about the Force than we ever knew before, right? Like, you you see Luke grab his lightsaber while he's upside down in the Wampa Cave, right? Like, you see him do that. And then later in the film, it's like, oh, you can lift a lot more than your lightsaber with that. You can You can lift the ship out of the swamp. And it just shows... Like, the Force is really this limitless extension of you and your will. One thing that I really hate, though, do or do not, there is no try. So why do you, why do you hate that? I just hate, I hate proverbs in general. They try to distill undistillable ideas. And they sound wise doing it because they're, they're short and they're easy to remember. And it's like, do or do not, there is no try. The amount of times I've heard people say something like that in a serious setting, like, don't you remember what Yoda said, right? Yeah, yeah. And they'll yeah. they'll do the same thing with like, oh, an African proverb. Oh, a Confucius proverb. Oh, you know, and they'll always add these little little quips and stuff. That's my dream podcast to start is just to talk about bad proverbs because I think they're dumb. Uh, but that's my personal uh, feeling. I, I don't hate Yoda for it. Uh, we all already know he's a failure of a Jedi, and he totally ruined the order, and <laughs> and he's the reason the Republic fell. So, well, you know, yeah. uh, take it. What do you take expect? a tip out of your own handbook, there, Yoda? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe you should have done or done not instead of when you were trying to fight the Emperor. Yeah, you really, you really tried there, Yoda. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe he's speaking from personal experience. Right, right, right. He, he, he's learned. Maybe that's his, that's his depression talking. Yeah, is yeah. you just may as well not try. Only do it if you know you can do it. Yeah, but that's my, that's my. I hate that. That I mean, that's in a perfect movie. That's a small thing to, small thing to take issue with, but and and it's also, it's also not something that I hate about the movie. It's if a character said that to me personally, I'd be like, well, I disagree with that, right? I don't think you're supposed to agree. I mean, Vader preaches about the dark side in this movie too. I also don't agree with that. So it's just a personal thing against Proverbs. Okay, that's my own, that's my own issue. I'm working through it, okay? <laughs> we jump from uh, Dagobah and then we're on Bespin. So what things kind of stand out with you on Bespin? The biggest thing on Bespin was like the introduction, you know, to Lando. There's all this talk about Lando. Oh, I have a friend there, right? Oh, we're going to this place. We'll be safe there. I have a friend. I have a friend. And then they get shot at as they're coming into Bespin. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. Like, I know Lando Calrissian. And then when they finally are allowed to land, Lando comes out to meet them. And you meet this person who really it's only been the past five minutes. But you feel like, oh, I've heard a lot about him. Yeah. Right. Like I know who this is, and then we 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 meet Lando, and he gives that bit of backstory where it's like, "What, what did you do to my ship? My ship. ship, his ship, yeah. right? Your ship. Remember, you I want it from you, fair, fair and square. square, right? You get that whole interaction, and we were talking even in the last episode about backstory, right? The focus is on now, right? The backstory, you know, just use it to set up this relationship, but put it in a throwaway line right the clone wars okay there were wars before and something about clones that's it you know my ship oh you want it he he won it han won it from lando sometime well there's even like there's another great part about that where like before they go to bespin chewie 
makes a sound, and then all that Han says is, I'm sure he's forgotten about that. Yeah. And so we know there's, like, this back history, but we don't need to know the whole story. We just need to... We know that there's history between these two guys, that maybe this isn't going to be as good as what Han thinks it is. And then, like you said, like, when they're getting shot at as they're trying to land, that's good foreshadowing that this isn't actually the safe place they think it is. Yeah, that's a good point, too, because it really becomes not a safe place for them. Yeah, and it shows what kind of person Lando is as well, because he struck a deal with the Empire. He's like, my interest. He's like, hey, you take this Luke guy, whatever, right? Just, like, stay out of my business. Wow, this is a good movie. It is. Like, it is just a good movie. Yeah. And so, yeah, we get to Bespin, and, well, nothing, like, Leia doesn't feel good about it, right? And and then C-3PO get walks into that room because he hears another R2 unit, and then, you know... There's voices that sound like stormtroopers, but we don't see them. Yeah. And then we just see his body fall to pieces, right? And so we, yeah, we're getting the feeling that this is not, something's going down here, right? And we've we've already seen the Empire take off, so we think we don't, we really have no idea what's going on here. Yeah, and then, and then you get the reveal, and Han's like so quick. He's like, no, that's the bad guy. Yeah. And he shoots at him. And then, and then Vader just shuts it down. You know, like it shows like how much power Vader has that he's like, nope, we, we would be honored if you would join us, <laughs> right? And they're like some of my favorite robot chicken episodes are all about Bespin. Mm-hmm. So the there's one where it's like, we'd be honored if you'd join us for dinner. And then it shows the scene of them all sitting down at dinner and like, thanks for blowing up my planet, dad. And like, <laughs> tell me about this young man you've been dating. And uh, <laughs> like all this awkward family dinner conversation i love this is a thing i love the robot chicken where uh where jar jar comes he's like little annie (laughs) 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 he lifts off vader's mask he's like he's like freaking out yeah Uh, yeah uh, they're they're good i feel like star wars has done this great job of creating culture it really is iconic we and i mean we're probably going to call it iconic in every single one of these episodes because there's always either something that now is iconic or it's making a callback to something else in star wars that was iconic right i mean the new movies haven't had that same chance to sit as cinema right like they're kind of like oh that's a blockbuster film right and we're We'll see how they age. We'll see. But this one, Empire Strikes Back, is amazing. Yeah, well, let's get into the confrontation between Luke and Darth Vader on Bespin. Okay, before before we get into that, though, I do want to uh, mention Boba Fett. Because this is where we we meet Boba Fett. And this is... And you see how good he is as a bounty hunter. He knew knew they were hiding on the back of the Star Destroyer. And went out with the trash, right? He knew exactly where they were and what they were doing. He could have just called them and then the Empire would be like, oh, well, they're already on our ship. Like, get lost. You know, but he's like, no, no, I have to go and capture them. Get the bounty. Yeah. Right? And he did it. No, really, really well done. Okay, the confrontation. Yeah, so finally, so this is what it's all been leading up to. Really from the death of Obi-Wan is Luke and Darth Vader clashing. And Luke has ran off irrationally to jump into something I think, again, that gives like an everyman kind of feel like we've all 
run in and jumped into something and been headstrong and gotten in over our head. So we can all kind of identify with what's happening to Luke. You know, he starts showing off some skills in Darth Vader, you know, impressive. Most impressive. And then really Darth Vader starts using the force to start moving stuff, right? And and throw stuff at Luke and Luke's getting the crap beaten out of him. Yeah. And he's just, you know, we get the sense that he's just scratching the surface of the power of the force. And Darth right. Vader is obviously very, right. very powerful. And and Luke, you you saw him doing all these flips and stuff on Dagobah. Okay, good for you. He's like a very physically active, fit guy. You know, he can do the acrobatics of a Jedi, but he can't do the Force stuff. Like, that's where he completely falls apart. And then, of course, there's the iconic reveal and, like, the most often misquoted line in movie history. Everybody says, Luke, I am your father, but it's no, I'm your father. Yeah, and there's, like, this long break. When I was watching it again, I noticed how long the break is. It's like, no, I am your father like it lets it sit first vader's like no like you're wrong and it lets luke process that and the audience process that like yeah what we've been lied to you know like wait a second and then you get that moment where it's like i am your father and it's like what you know like to be in a theater with, with a reveal like that like that's a good reveal and it it makes sense and it's I don't know. It's just really well done. And I feel like it would have been more enjoyable without the internet culture of today where it's like, there's all this theorizing and I know, I know, I know I can just not watch those videos. But when it's like, Oh, who is Loki number 10? You know, what is this going on? And who's that? And yeah, of course I'm going to (laughs) watch, I watch all the theory videos, but I feel like that reveal would have been so epic. Uh, in the theaters back then like my dad said it was absolutely insane at the same time like there's an interview with david prouse who is the the body actor for darth vader who he said at at the end of you know after a new hope came out and they planned for a part two and a part three he said yeah in part two we're going to find out that luke and that darth vader is actually luke's father right but this was like in an obscure newspaper article interview somewhere in california like it didn't spread around the world right Whereas if something like that came out in an interview, you'd see it on every uh, movie, video game, sci-fi website. It would be all over Facebook. Everybody would know about it, right? Yeah, everybody would be like, Vader, Luke's father? Hmm? You know, yeah. question mark, big red circle, pointing arrows. Yeah, 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 right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Whole lot of clickbait. But I, I, I feel like you still get that payoff because Luke feels it, you know? Like Luke... It, it hurts Luke, and he's trying to process it, right? He does his, no, no, that's impossible. That's impossible. But there's something about this. There's something that George Lucas said about these movies that will forever change the way I watch this scene. Is He said, he said uh, people call it a space opera, but these, this movie is a big soap opera. It's a story about a family. That reveal of Darth Vader being Luke's father is like every soap opera reveal. I'm not actually so-and-so. I'm his... What? twin brother (laughs) right or i'm not actually so and so i'm your long lost dead father like all these grand reveals like that is classical soap opera shtick yeah and after george lucas said like i heard him in an interview say this movie's really just a big soap opera set 
in space. I, I don't know if I can watch this scene the same. And I think that's why it gets made fun of and parodied so much is because it is like a soap opera reveal, but it was like so, you know, it was like they, they took soap opera reveals and made it for everyone. Right. And I think it's really well executed. You get other reveals like this in other movies. A great example is Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, number two, The Crimes of Grindelwald. That movie, I mean, that movie was garbage. I have so many problems with that movie. But that scene where they're, I don't know if you've, have you seen it, Andrew? No. So no. They're, they're standing in the crypt and then one, one character is like, oh, I actually killed my baby brother on a boat when it was a baby because I swapped it with this other baby on the boat because my baby was crying and so I swapped them and then that baby went down with the ship but the one that I stole didn't oh no but I actually swapped them and they like go back and forth and it's like but I am that baby oh but that baby survived and they like go back and forth back and forth and by the end right. of it you're like wait whose baby who's, is right. it like what is going on none of it makes any sense and and so that's a really good example of a reveal like that going terribly wrong. But I think this one, I liked it. You know, yeah. even now, even knowing the twist, you still feel, yeah, is it very dramatic? You know, does Mark Hamill make a silly face? Yeah. But you feel like Mark Hamill communicates like that tore him apart, right? Like that tears Luke apart inside because that that says... Oh, so the Jedi sent me to kill my father? Yeah. Oh, and and my dad is evil? Am I, you know, am I evil? Am I, you know, Obi-Wan lied to me from the get-go? My dad isn't dead, right? Like all of these other questions that came up for Luke and then come up for you as the audience too. Well, that's his big thing, right? Is half the time you say, Ben, why didn't you tell me, Ben? Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> right, when he's laying there yeah, on the on the ship. a new hand and stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there's an interesting kind of, uh, and I don't know if I'm projecting too far, but I asked myself the question, like, why so many severed hands in Star Wars movies? Like, this is the first one, but the next movie you have another one, and then in the prequels you've got, everybody gets their hands chopped off. Mm -hmm. And so I start Googling and searching, like, why, what's the big deal with hands getting cut off? All that George Lucas has officially said is, like, with a smirk, when you play with swords, you get your hands cut off. Mm -hmm. But if you think about Anakin's turn to the dark side... If you see this, Anakin's lightsaber as like the last remnant of Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader severs Luke's hand and casts away the lightsaber. The lightsaber goes with it. Yeah. And he has severed the last shred of Anakin Skywalker. He's shredded the bond between him and his son. He is fully committed to the dark side. I like that. I think that makes sense, especially given what we see in the next movie mm-hmm. with Luke's prosthetic hand. But I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that then. Yeah. So make sure you f- follow this podcast so uh, so you can get the next episode. Yeah. yeah, anything, what else do you want to add here? The only thing that didn't stand out to me until like the last time I watched it was that fleet of ships that leaves Hoth is the same fleet of ships that picks up Luke and the Millennium Falcon at the end. And that fleet of ships is the last of the rebellion. Right. They don't. I always just assumed once they left Hoth, they're going to another base because they left that moon base and then went to Hoth. So they're taking off. They must be going to somewhere else. They're not going anywhere else. We see this them going to space. At the end, we see them in space. And then in the next movie, they're just floating around in space. Mm-hmm. So that is the last of the rebellion. 
and they end up mimicking that in the last Jedi, but they like ham fist it and shove it in your face. Mm-hmm. That our rebellion is just this last little group of ships, and it's like it's always been the last group of ships. You've never right, had right. anything, right? Like right, what, right. You know, yeah. You know, uh, uh, yeah. As as much flack as people give George Lucas for his writing, mm-hmm. the original trilogy where is where he was most involved with everything. Yeah. Right. Where he was doing the most stuff, the most jobs. And I think it's the best trilogy overall, like all together as a trilogy. I think it's the best one. So, yeah, I don't know. Hug hug somebody named George today to show your appreciation for George Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> we named my daughter Georgia after George Lucas. Did you actually? No. Oh, that no. would have been epic. But OK, well. <laughs> Yeah, I, I felt a little. I feel my heart crack. I felt a little heartbreak there. <laughs> that would have been good. We'll pretend. Maybe I'll just leave that. Leave. Leave, leave I'll, that in. I'll, the... I'll cut that. Yeah. So that everybody can think that. <laughs> I don't remember watching this for the first time. I don't remember my reaction to the reveal that Vader was Luke's father. But I do remember how even as a kid, I could tell this was something special. Star Wars is iconic. Its characters, the mystical force, the planets. Hoth has always been my favorite planet, but it was also kind of the first time I remember being scared during a movie. The Wampa Cave terrified me. The idea of being trapped in a cave, frozen to be eaten later by a giant yeti. This really was the darker, grittier sequel. My favorite moment with Hoth, though, has to be sharing the movies and the Clone Wars TV show with a college roommate who'd never watched any Star Wars before we met. The only thing he really knew about Star Wars was that Hoth was a planet. For months, as we worked our way through the Star Wars content, he'd ask, is that Hoth? Every time we found ourselves on a new world. Is that Hoth? No, that's Florum. Is this Hoth? Nope, this is Coruscant. Is that? Nope, this is Tatooine. Imagine our joy when we finally watched The Empire Strikes Back. And finally, we could say, yes, Angelo, this is Hoth. Then we visited Dagobah, a swamp with a kooky old Muppet. Growing up, I liked Yoda because he was silly. He talked funny. Speak like him growing up, I would. Upon re-watching Empire for this series, I noticed a lot more of the wear of exile on Yoda's mind. He wasn't just crazy, he was lonely. He'd failed as a Jedi, and now he had decades to think about it. I'm not sure Lucas thought about it, and maybe Andrew's stretching of metaphors is rubbing off on me, but maybe the swamp is an outward manifestation of the soup in Yoda's head. Finally, we have Bespin, which I never caught the name of as a kid because to me, it was just Cloud City. A palace in the sky filled with beautiful people and cool people. Like everything else, it too was iconic.